and welcome back to Talking Talmud. I'm one of your hosts, Jordana Osban, here with my friend and Chavruta Aaron Gordon. Our daf today, Masacha Nedarim, daf Lamedalad, page 34. Well, once again, we're actually going to start on the previous page. Um, and we had this very strange Mishnah that was talking about things that a if someone were to that there, that they cannot derive benefit from another person, right? Ruvain takes a nether that they cannot get from Shimon. There are still certain things that Shimon can do for Ruvain that would not fall under uh, the uh, prohibition type of nether. And one of those things was is that Shimon could return to Ruvain uh, the, um, a, a lost object that he found, uh, particularly if the circumstance there's compensation that would be given for the person who found the objects. And if Shimon said, you know what, I don't want that compensation, right? Because that could be a benefit to Ruvain. Uh, in that case, Ruvain gives that amount that would have been for the compensation for to the temple treasury. And so the Gemara now on the bottom of Lamed Gimel, Lamed Bet, is going to have a machlokas about this. Plagiba Ravami Baravasi. So Ravi Ami and Ravasi have a uh, Ravi Ami and Raviasi have a disagreement about this. Chadamar once said, "Lo shano asurin al They taught right this that a lost object can be returned only when the benefit from the property of the returner is forbidden uh, to the owner of the lost article. In other words. When the owner, who's the person who made the neder, right? Reuven makes his neder against Shimon. The neder that he will not get any benefit from Shimon's property. So therefore, since that lost object is not Shimon's property, Shimon is allowed to return it to Reuven. Because when it's returned to the owner, he's returning the owner something that's actually his. But in a case where the property of the owner of the lost uh, of this Aveda, this lost object, is forbidden to the returner. In other words, let's say the nether was is that Ruvain said, any of my objects, right, that Shimon can't get any benefit from me. Okay, that was the nether, right? Lo kamaharde. Then Shimon is not allowed to actually return this object. De kamahane le pruta de rabiose. Because the owner, right, would be giving him the benefit of Rav Yosef's pruta on the return of Yosef's pruta. This is a very, very interesting concept. The idea is, is that Rav Yosef's pruta is, is that essentially if you are busy uh, returning an object, you are now under the category of Osef the mitzvah, pater min mitzvah, right? We saw this first in Masech code, right, that if somebody is busy with a mitzvah, you don't need to worry about doing another mitzvah, right? So the classic example is if you were going to return a captive, right? Somebody was kidnapped and you were going to rescue them and it's over Sukkot, you don't have to eat in the sukkah because you're osek mitzvah patzer min mitzvah. So here what the idea is, is that since you are osek mitzvah patzer min mitzvah, the pruta that you would get, and this is a gemara that's in Bava Kama, it's machlokas between Rav Yosef and Rabbah, is that the finder of the lost object, Rabbah considers him to be a shomer chinam, an unpaid uh, watcher. We're going to get to all of this when we get to the babas, okay? Uh, but Rabbi Yosef says that he's actually a, somer, a shomer schar. He actually is a paid watcher. And the reason for that is, 
is because let's say somebody came to him asking for tzedakah, he's busy doing his mitzvah, so he wouldn't have to give tzedakah. So he actually, in a way, makes like he gets paid. He saved himself money, so he sort of got paid to do this. And therefore, there's more liability that he has, according to Rav Yosef, if that object were to get lost. So that, but the point really is, is that if the neder is, is that Reuven says, Shimon can get no benefit from any of my objects, right? Then Shimon is not allowed to return a lost object to Reuven. Now, the, what's the opposite? You know, the uh, the dissenting opinion. Even when the benefit, right, is of the property of the owner of the lost article is forbidden right? Ruvain made that nether that Shimon can't get any benefit from Ruvain's property. Mahadarle, Shimon can still return it. Umishum pruta de Rav Yosef. Because this Rav Yosef, this pruta of Rav Yosef, it's very uncommon, right? It's not common that you end it at the time that you're going to be returning this object. You know, somebody's going to come and try to get, you know, try to give you to give tzedakah. So the point is, it's such an unusual circumstance, we can't consider that. And of course, Shimon could still return Ruvain's object. Now, the Gemara is going to try and challenge this. And this is actually where our top starts. Tanan, we learned in a, uh, we learned in a Mishnah. Um, now, one of the things that's interesting is that actually the Ran, who we know is the major commentary on its arm, actually has a very different text here. Uh, the Rush, the Tosfos uh, have our particular um, text. So we're, you know, so just know that you may see that some of the commentaries you're using. Okay. In a place where uh, the finders would take compensation for returning a lost object, the benefit should go to the temple treasury. Now this is under, now this is, you know, somewhat of what our mission taught. So this makes sense. According to the one who says, I feel Case where the property of the owner of the lost uh, article is forbidden unto the uh, to the returner, right? Where Ruvain makes the nether that says Shimon is not allowed to get any benefit from my property, right? So he's not going to pay Shimon. That that compensation has to go basically to the temple treasury. Nami Hadar, right? But the article can be returned. Hainu Diktani, right? And this is why. Uh, the Mishnah uh, says, in a place where right, the finder gets a scar, the benefit should go to the temple treasury. So the Mishnah doesn't speak of, you know, whether either party can benefit from the other, right? We understand that the compensation has to go to the, to the temple treasury, right? So this would be like the second, uh, this would be the second opinion. That when the property of the owner of the lost object is forbidden by the return of Lomahadar, right, is not allowed to return. Sorry, this is the second opinion. Then why should the benefit fall to the temple? In other words, according to the first, uh, the first understanding, right, that we don't worry about this pruta of Rav fine. So you'll just give the benefit to the, you'll just get the payment We'll just go to the temple treasury. But according to the second opinion, right, where it says you can't even return that object at all because you are worried about this review, right? Why should the benefit go at all 
to uh, the temple, right? The, re the returner in this case is permitted to benefit from the owner, okay? And so maybe you should take the compensation, uh, you know, actually, uh, you know, maybe you should take the compensation for himself. So the Gemara doesn't like this and says, Achada uh, Katani. The Mishnah is teaching this with, with only one of the two parties. In other words, this is a case of the owner of the lost article. In other words, the Mishnah is teaching that the money has to be given to the temple, right? And uh, only with respect to the owner. That is that the finder refuses to accept any type of compensation. The owner can't keep the money for himself because the owner <clears throat> cannot get benefit from the finder. Right, so it would be the first type of nether where Reuven says, "I'm not going to get any benefit from Shimon." That's what this particular mission needs to be talking about, and it says that it's not actually. This is not. Um, this isn't what it's talking about. Now, the Gemara then is going to give a, a different version of what exactly Ravami and Ravasi were disagreeing about. We're going to skip this a little bit. Uh, just, just look at that. Um, and again, they're going to challenge uh, an opinion again. And they're going to quote another Mishnah for that, Tanan, right? Makom Lina in a place where the finder takes compensation. Again, that he has to uh, give it to the Hegdes. Bishlam Laman Amar. This makes uh, sense according to the ones right? In a case where the property of the returner is forbidden to the owner of the lost article. In other words, that the that uh, Shimon Reuven says he won't get any uh, benefit from uh, from the from Shimon. Let's say right, Reuven won't get any benefit from Shimon. His property is forbidden to him. Mehadar, right? He can return the the article. Hanu um, makom, and that's what's explained. This is explained. So the question is then in a place where the finder takes compensation. Right, that's how you would. This is the case uh, of that particular Mishnah. But in a case where it's the property of the returner is forbidden, right? How can you do in a place, right? How can you explain it according to that way? In other words, uh, the second case is talking about, okay, that, um, uh, and here is actually a great example. Actual Gemara it's missing some words because if you look at it where it says right it's allowed to be returned that's what the mishra is talking about when it talks about in a place so again it's the exact same language so you look at it and you're like what is this gemara talking about it seems to be citing the same uh case so some people say that actually in there the Gemara is missing a word and it should say lo mahada, right? He shall not return. Um, and then if that is the case, if you're saying that it's a case that you shouldn't return it, okay, there the Gemara says kasha, that actually it's difficult. Now this is actually a very, because uh, the Mishnah is basically allowing the return of a lost article, right? Only when the finder can't derive benefit from the owner, right? Because remember, the owner they're saying that the, the, the returner can't get any benefit from him. So he would only be allowed to return to place where there isn't compensation. But if there is compensation, it would be a problem. Now, uh, you know, 
I, I think what's very interesting about this entire passage is you must use the commentators to read it because there's a lot of different versions about what this text is actually saying. I just read one version of the text where it's clear there has to be some missing words. And one of the things that we talked about at the beginning of this particular Masachat is, is that it seems somehow that this Masachat seems to follow a little bit more traditionally the way the Yerushalmi is read. There's no Rashi on this Masachat, or at least the Rashi that's there we don't think is actually Rashi. But there's something about this particular Masachat that seems different than other Masachat. And one of the theories is, is that maybe, you know, Ravashi, when he was going through uh, all of the Gemara somehow didn't edit this one as well. And I think here we see a perfect example of this. I tried reading it out loud. Uh, I'm not sure that I did a great job of actually explaining it, um, but go through this particular piece very carefully. And if you use the commentators, you will see there's a lot of question about what the actual text is and therefore how do you actually understand this text itself. And so I think we can use this as an example that Sometimes the text of the Gemara is not exactly clear. The Mepharshim try to figure out where they try to use, they may have had alternate texts, right? So in other words, the Ran had a different text than, let's say, the Rosh or Tosfot. Um, and this does become complicated. I want to think of the Gemara as an authoritarian, an authoritative text, because we do know that we have an examples like this one, where sometimes the text may not be so clear or may not be so accurate. So on that note, I'll I'll add that in the modern era, we do have um, many people working on establishing, I want to say, um, more reliable, more thorough, more careful renditions of the text of the Shas, right? So that if we have this Surat Adaf, this uh, traditional Talmud page that's been in effect for, you know, hundreds of years, and it's known as the Vilna Shas, um, even so, there's a number of different public, um, what do you call it, editions from different publishers, from people who have, from scholars, you know, and of all stripes, right, who have sat and gone over the text from all the various different manuscripts, because we now have enough, you know, skill and technology to be able to compare manuscripts and so on, and to try to determine, A, the authoritative text, and B, what you've just said, Yordana, which is which text did, given Rishonim, have in front of them so that then you can have with notes, you know, to establish which one is which. Um, that's true of the versions that are translated into English in terms of establishing the Hebrew, the Aramaic, you know, the original wording of the text. But it's also true, as I say, of certain editions that are, you know, a refined um, printing, let's say, where they where you see there's like extra glosses, extra notes in the margins, and you can usually tell who which editions have gone through this, you know, additional layer of refinement, not just printing the same old, same old with no with you know utter respect for the Daf of the Gemara, but recognizing that many different manuscripts were pulled to make that original you know, the page that looks like the Daf that we think of. Um okay, that's a uh, it's really a whole separate issue of Talmud scholarship, I would say. Um, I want to move to Ahmed Bet, where we end up with, no, one more comment I wanted to say, Yordana. I, I think that some of what you're describing here is kind of all of the complications that can really happen when people are taking these, you know, these vows of swearing off things where, and, and then you get stuck in something because, well, again, we still haven't come up with a satisfactory, at least not satisfactory to me, 
explanation as to why people are swearing off, right? So maybe it's out of anger or maybe it's out of, I don't know, maybe there are certain times there's a practical motivation. But for the most part, it seems like it just complicates things. Yeah, I, I, I'm a little less interested in the particulars of the Machlokas itself and more using this as an example of like, how do we learn a Zafa Gemara when the text is not straightforward? I understand. It's hard to learn these Zafim. <laughs> it is hard. Okay, so I'm going to, the we have a dilemma on Ahmed Bet, which is what I'm going to say is in that same category of even even not delving into the particulars of the Machlokit, but still where you see the complications of of swearing off in one category raises you know, myriads of complications in another category. So here we have So asks this question before Rava. Specifically, let's say we have one person, let's say Ruven just says to Shimon, Hikari Alecha, my loaf, like a like a loaf of bread, right? Is a konam, it's off limits for you. And then Unatana Lo Bamatana Mahu. And then he gives him, meaning A, gives to B, Reuven gives to Shimon, that same loaf as a gift. Now, I really want the backstory here, because why would you do this? Why would you say it's off limits? And then like, oops, I forgot, I'm going to give it to you as a gift. It's a tease. Like, I don't understand why this would happen. And I understand that the Gemara doesn't always tell us why things happen. And sometimes you just have to know what the halacha is, were that to be the case. But in this situation, I feel like, but it's such a puzzle, right? And I and I would like the backstory. Okay, so he gives it as a gift. Then what's going to be the halacha? Hikari amarlo, asur, So what happens? Are we supposed to understand that by saying that my loaf is forbidden, meaning my loaf is off limits to you, that he said that at the time that the loaf was still in his possession, and that's when it was forbidden. But then he gives it to him as a gift, and now, like it's no longer hit, it's no longer under his own domain, person A, Ruvain, right? And so then, therefore, it's no longer forbidden. Meaning, has his act of handing it over as a present um, changed the status of that nedr to begin with? Because it was, let's say, limited while it was under his um, under his possession. And in this context, I can imagine somebody saying, like, you know, parents to children is my best offhand example of you know no you can't touch that that's off limits to you and then you know six months later or three weeks later or whatever it is there's a birthday or so on and then the kid gets the present and now it's completely theirs right so I, i'm not saying that that's what's happening in this gemara at all i am puzzled as to what's happening in the gemara but i can imagine a case where if that's where where somebody says that's off limits meaning while it's theirs while it's under their own domain but then that they might actually hand it off as a gift. And then obviously that condition, that stipulation is null and void because it was never intended to go beyond that. But the question is, or are we supposed to say, when it, are we supposed to understand that when he said it's forbidden to you, then he means it to be forever like this, like a consecrated item. And that even when he's no longer in, the, in possession of this loaf, it is still going to be off limits of the second person, person B, our Shimon, Right to the extent that he, even though he's just received it as a gift, he can get no benefit from it. It shouldn't surprise anybody to know that the commentaries get very involved in their discussion and plugging into figuring out what is going on in the stuff. So Rav is going to answer back to Rav Chia Bar Avin. 
I'm really pshita. It's simple. Thank you, Rava. I had no idea. Right? It's a simple thing. Namely, Rava goes with option two. He says, even though he gave it to the second person, the first person gave it to the second person as a gift, it is nonetheless forbidden. So Rukhiyabar Avin says, then what are we saying when he says my loaf is forbidden to you, right? And we say, but it's my loaf is forbidden to you. Then what's what's the big deal? Meaning, what is he coming to exclude? If he says mine, then isn't that to the exclusion of when it's no longer mine, right? Rabbi Bar Abba wants Rava to grapple with the first case, um, with the first suggestion of interpretation, rather. Doesn't it come to explain that if it was stolen from him, that in that case, person B, our Shimon, could you know then have access? It would be permitted. The loaf would be permitted to him. So Rava says no. It's excluding the case where he invites him. Ruven invites Shimon. A invites B to come eat from that loaf. Before he had taken this vow that he can't, that it's he, that it's off limits to him, meaning now some of that loaf is what was what he was invited to partake of, and some of it is you know supposedly going to be the part that's forbidden, and that doesn't really work so well, right? Meaning if you're going to say that part of part of it is um, now um, off, you know, um, given the authority that he could come and eat from it because he had invited him to do so, then the owner, the original owner, Ruvain, person A, cannot. Re- cannot make it forbidden. But if he invited the other person before he took that vow, then when he then takes the vow, then he puts that entire loaf off limits forbidden if he then would give it to him as a gift. Meaning, and and again, here I, I have a much harder time coming up with the example that says, here's why somebody would be doing this. I understand that the halacha is going to delineate for us what the case must be, but still. Um, the Gemara is going to, uh, we're done with our daf, right? But the Gemara is going to go on um, to take issue with Rava on tomorrow's daf, um, because Rava's position here, I, I think, is quite difficult. Yeah, it is. It is a difficult position, and I think the case itself is very, very interesting. It's sort of by making a declaration about this loaf of bread, like how do you inherently change the existence of that object in a certain way? Right. It's again, it's like what we've been saying all along about the, the power. It's the power of words in its description of something or how you feel towards something or making a declaration about something actually changes its status in its world and in, in the world in relation to other things. Yes, exactly. And, and, and in so many complicated ways that there's ramifications that you might not have even realized were there when you made the comments here to say, well, it's going to be off limits or now I'm going to invite you to partake, but now it's off limits. And, and what are you supposed to do then? It, I, the, I feel like there's still like ever growing spirals here in, in Rava's case. Well, that's our top discussion for the day. Rinkus Reviews and all major podcasts. Thank you to Revenue Michelle Farber for hosting us on the Hadron website. Let us know what you thought about the stop on our Talking Time on Facebook page. And until tomorrow, go and learn.